Once again, it's time for a concast, and you know that because you're listening to it already, uh, in theory. You don't just have this on in the background, do you? Because that would be weird. You know what? Never mind. I don't care. Um, with me today, I've got uh, Laz and Stiltskin. Hello. Hello. Oh, are you going to join us for the concast today? My daughter is nodding her head. Okay. Yes. Nice. All right, so, Kalen, what have you been playing recently? Uh, what have you been playing recently? What kind of games have you been playing? Can you tell everybody? Is it Tomatoes? Tomatoes. She is, again, nodding her head. Um, yeah, Laz, <laughs> uh, you have not actually gotten to hear the uh, last Comcast yet, but um, because of the enormous um, tomato-looking flan monster, um, Kalen has decided to start calling that entire game the Tomatoes. Tomato Game. But nope. uh, that is what I'm playing right now. I have now. not played it, but I, it's um, just legendary and kind of hilarious. Based on the conversations that we've already had before we started recording today, Laz, uh, my next game will end up being the one that you're about to talk about, I do okay. believe. Well, yeah, I've, uh, I mean, I, all you guys know I usually play two or three games at once, but the one that's been commanding my attention most recently is Telltale's The Walking Dead. And it's a pretty cool, I'm not usually not into zombie stuff, but this is a pretty cool game. I'm really enjoying it. Uh, I'm, I'm, I've, I am in, Right at the beginning of episode four of season one, because of course it's season one, because season two only has a couple episodes out, and uh, I and it, it's definitely an old school adventure game, which is what tell that's kind of Telltale's joint, but it, it sort of abandoned the really weird, specific, esoteric puzzle solving, and it's just more about the dialogue and characters. So, and and I'm I'm very much a fan of that. It's. Yeah, I, I don't know if uh, you watched the television show or have ever read any of the graphic novels. Um, I, I my roommate is crazy about the comics and the show, and he has <laughs> and he has forced some of it upon me. But I'm not really I'm not really into zombie stuff, so it's like yeah, whatever. Yeah, I mean that that's that's really points to uh, what I wanted to say about that though. Exactly is that um, you know that I I'm only I only have limited exposure to the graphic novels. Um, I have watched the television show from the jump and while there is an emphasis on the uh you know the zombies and the gore that's not what the walking dead is about the entire thing is very much um a set of character studies and uh a collection of the you know the moral choices that these people have to make when none of the choices are actually moral in any way Right. And uh, that is why it works so well as this telltale kind of game. Yeah, I, I think that all of the characters in the game are believable characters that could exist if this kind of situation were to exist. And uh, the thing that I sort of uh, like about it is when you, if you play an old school adventure game like a LucasArts thing or a Japanese visual novel, there's usually a best ending or a right ending or a sort of a right way to do things. But that that's not the case for this because... No matter what you do, things will just get worse. And like, like th- th- there is almost never a po- a sort of most positive outcome. It's just, yeah, exactly. If you do it this way, things will get uh, will fall deeply more deeply into despair this way versus this way. So, uh, I guess hopefully Stilts is playing a zombie game, or we're gonna have a really rough segue. Uh no. Um so that that was a really long pause to try and think of a zombie game I could be playing. <laughs> um but which would have worked brilliantly if I'd 
downloaded the Last of Us DLC, but I haven't. <laughs> so, no. Um, I'm more and more and more addicted to uh, Nino Kuni, following on from the last Concast. Um, more addicted than I was really expecting to be. Um, oh. Because it's um, it's actually a really good game, even though I still have reservations about the general plot tone. Um, Gameplay-wise, it's amazing. And there are side quests, which for, you know, recent or new Final Fantasy fans, side quests are things you can do that don't involve you running in a straight line and following the main plot. And they're really good. Other than that, um, I've been dabbling in Rocksmith a little bit, um, which is the sort of hybrid between guitar tuition and rock band. Um, and I got that, uh, I got that at Christmas and I've been slowly picking it up and, uh, finally actually making steps on my age old, uh, intention to teach myself to play the guitar. Um, did you already have a guitar or, uh... I do. I've had a guitar for about 10 years. Oh, uh, all right. Right on schedule. Yeah, I know. It's, it's possibly the quickest learning curve ever. Um, I think for about 10 years I've been able to power chord Smoke on the Water and that's about it. <laughs> uh, yeah. smoke, smoke on the Water, Sunshine of Your Love. That's, you know, the classic no, Star Wars I never got that far. Just Smoke <laughs> on the Water. Um, but hopefully, with uh, with the aid of Rocksmith, that's going to change. Um, I can now ham-fist my way along to um, an Arctic Monkeys track. And um, hopefully... <laughs> that will improve from there and I'll actually be able to play songs I'm more interested in. But um I think as um as a self tuition tool, it's um it's remarkable. As a game it's perhaps you know, if you if you're just looking for a game to pick up, you pick up rock band. But um educationally yeah, it's hopefully it's, it's people pretty impressive. Looking at Rocksmith and thinking, Oh, Cool, I loved Rock Band. This is going to be great. <laughs> and then they get out their plastic guitar and be like, "Whoops." Oh. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen the uh, new game that the Harmonix guys are making? I haven't. It, it's it's crazy looking. It's called Chroma, and it's a multiplayer musical shooter. Ooh. Where you have where you um you have to fire uh, bullets or shots, as it were, into the to the tune of the beat and sort of move around freely. Uh, to try to sort of, you know, like score points by hitting targets or the other team. And when you're playing the multiplayer, each team has a different music theme. So one team's, you know, shots will be rock power chords and the other team's shots will be like ska horns or something. And it, it, it seems completely bananas from the one video and couple articles I've read and seen. But that yeah. sounds amazingly yeah. bonkers. Yeah, exactly. I cannot wait to actually have mm. you know a, a real version of that out in the wild to see what it's like. But it, but for now, it's just like a double take. Wait, what kind of game is it? Kind of situation. <laughs> that does sound I, really intriguing. I just think it's good that uh, they might actually manage to put out another game since the thing that they hung their hat on, you know, just completely fell over and died suddenly. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's so weird. The Boston game development scene is disintegrating. It's nuts. Yeah, irrational. Just it just shut down a few days ago. Yeah, and that's ridiculous. I I can't believe it because everyone's going to you know the Bay Area or Austin or something now. Ugh. Yeah, those are two places that I won't go. So <laughs> thank goodness I'm not in the real gaming industry. Uh, Fair. Yeah. 
So uh, today, guys, I thought that uh, in lieu of anything more interesting reaching out and grabbing me by the lapels, which is not to say this won't be interesting, but it, it won't be interesting, uh, I thought we'd follow up the uh, fun little concast that we did for Conniversary last year, in which we spent a few minutes talking about why Final Fantasy VI was awesome. And we'd continue that not-quite-a-series by turning our eyes toward Final Fantasy IV. Uh, it might seem like it's a little awkward to go from Final Fantasy VI to Final Fantasy IV, but uh, for now, that's the rate or the order in which uh, the games were added to the Caves of Narsh. So, oh, that's why it, we picked that. Yeah, All right. exactly. That's so a really it, good reason. Yeah, I, I kind of thought it was. What is uh, what is the third game that was added? I'm not. I don't even know. Uh, Final Fantasy V. Okay, so we six four five. <laughs> so in, in case you're wondering, the, the whole order off the top of my head is 6, 4, 5, Tactics, 1, 7, and then Chrono Trigger. And then question, question, question. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I love like question, question, question. Underrated. It's, it is best the best game. of the series. Uh, yeah, but uh, not to go too far off into con history, even though I know that is the most exciting part of any con cast. Uh, let's talk about Final Fantasy IV. Uh, me, personally, Final Fantasy IV has always been one of my favorite games in the original numbered series. Um, it's hard for me to ever come up with a full hierarchy of these things. I've probably complained about not liking ranking things personally on the Concast before. But uh, Final Fantasy IV has always been up there. It wasn't the first one I played. Um... It actually probably was the first one I finished, but it was the first one for me that really had a story that carried itself all the way through. Um, I don't know for sure that that story has aged as well as some of some of the other games in the series, but uh, I, the game still definitely holds a really strong place in my heart to the point where I've played remakes on all kinds of systems. Unlike you, Josh, Final Fantasy IV was the first Final Fantasy I played, and it was the first RPG I ever played. So in a way, it was kind of a revelation, because before then, all the the only real uh, video games I had played were either puzzle games or racing games or sort of action platformy kind of games. So like a game that was more about strategy and sort of management rather than actively, you know, uh, moving things with buttons was at first kind of fa- fascinating to me, and I, I th- I'm i not sure, but I think it was the first Final Fantasy game I finished, and I mean, because, and I've played it definitely more of times than any other Final Fantasy game. Not because it's my favorite, it's probably my, I don't know, it's probably not even in one of my top three favorites, but because it's come out on so many platforms, and I've bought it each time in each of those platforms over the years, that I've just played it probably six or seven times, which is more than any other game in the series. And I have to say, I uh, you, uh, I think I think I've told you the story before, but I bought a Japanese Famicom copy of Final Fantasy IV several years ago. Now, I don't own a Famicom, but it was just a Super Famicom. It was just for memorabilia reasons. And at a convention two years ago, I got Nobu Uematsu to sign that copy. So that's... So even though... Final Fantasy IV isn't my favorite game in the series. It is one of my most prized possessions in its own weird way. That's pretty good. For me, Final Fantasy IV sort of came in 
I'm just trying to think now. It certainly wasn't the first Final Fantasy I played. Uh, it was probably one of the later ones, actually. Um, the only version I've actually played is the PSX version. Um, due that's, to that's too bad. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I've, I've never owned a SNES, um, so well, it wouldn't have done you any good anyway. Being a Brit, uh, the first version that you got was well, the yeah, that's version. very true. Actually, the very first version I, you know legitimately could get my hands on was the version I did get my hands on and as a result um, I'm trying to think when it exactly it was released uh, on the PSX but I think it ended up being the the fifth maybe sixth Final Fantasy I played after the the three um, PSX Final Fantasies and then the Final Fantasy 6 uh, PSX release I think 4 was probably the one that came in after that so for me it was um a continuation of me delving into the history of Final Fantasy after accidentally coming across Final Fantasy VII and having my whole teenage, well, pre-teenage and teenage life <laughs> changed into uh, any, you know, idea of going outside disappearing. Uh, <laughs> um, so for me, it was um, one of the ones I came to slightly older, and you'd think, therefore, understand more. But um, I've only actually played it through the once that I can, uh, that I think. And, um, I'm, I'm realizing that perhaps I don't, um, I don't have as strong a connection to four, uh, as I do to some of the others, certainly. And like Laz says, um, it's probably not one of my top three, but it is a very, very good game. I, yeah, I, 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 ahead, I, I only said it's too bad that you played the PS1 version because I think of the versions I've played, it might be the worst one. <laughs> because, uh, it, it, it's nice that, that it went to the, it switched from the weird, uh, SNES easy type to the Japanese hard type. That's pretty good. But it has annoying load times and it didn't add really anything significant other than the hard type change to the SNES version. And, uh, the GBA and DS and PSP re-releases are all pretty good and do Add different things to the uh, game that I think are worthwhile, unlike the PS1 version. So that, I, I'm just saying, it's too bad that's the one you had to play. No, oh, that's the, uh, fair. fair co- sorry, go on. The the PS1 version had the uh, completely janky uh, FMVs, though. Oh, uh, got these uh, PlayStation era games that had come out with all of these. What you know, what Squeenix is really known for now. These absolutely dazzling cutscenes rendered in full motion video, and as a longtime Final Fantasy IV fan, you kind of think, oh, they're going to put these in Final Fantasy IV. That is going to be the coolest thing I've ever seen. And then you, uh, you've <laughs> actually got the game, and the version that you got was from, like, Squeenix's, well, uh, Square EA's B team, made up of junior high Japanese kids, where <laughs> all, all of the art in the FMVs look way too similar to the original Amano concepts. And, uh, it's just kind of gritty and, um, pixely and not very well rendered. And you're like, oh, well, yeah. I just bought this game and the only new thing in it is about 45 seconds of terrible video. Yeah. <laughs> we each, I guess we have different personal connections to it because of sort of the different times each of us got into the Final Fantasy series. But, uh, I mean, why do we like it specifically? Why, why does it hold up as this classic? I can certainly answer that from my own point of view. Sure. Um, no, know. I demand you answer it from my point of view, Josh. 
Come well, on. I've been thinking about that, and I just can't get into your head, and I'm worried God. what might happen if I did. It's like we're two different people or something. <laughs> My God. Um, for me, the thing that drew me to it when I was, you know, first playing it as an 11 year old, um, it felt so much like the original Final Fantasy, which of course was the only one that we'd seen in the States at that point. Uh, but it had that extra layer of integrating the new active time battle system. So it felt more action-y than the previous game, while still having a lot of the, the, the cool turn-based battle features that um, were appealing to me in the first game. And then you layer on that... Uh, well, you know what, actually? Let's not layer anything on just yet. Uh, okay. I think maybe it's worth talking about a little bit more that this was the actual first Final Fantasy game that utilized ATB. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... um. I mean, I, I think all Japanese RPGs before then sort of had a round system where you would, you know, choose every character's attack and then everything would sort of play out. That's at least how every... Uh, Dragon Quest game was and how Final Fantasy 1 through 3 were. So this was, you know, having that, uh, an agility or speed stat determining character order and, uh, and having, like, I mean, uh, the, the stop status is in Final Fantasy 4, right? Am I, Mr. Yeah, yes it is. Yeah, so like having, being able to manipulate time and turn order like that is, is, um, something that's even fascinating and interesting, uh, in today. Like, you have, I mean, Bravely Default is a game whose major mechanic is, like, manipulating turn order. So, without Final Fantasy IV sort of throwing a wrench into that and get, and, uh, getting rid of a traditional turn-based system is really interesting. And the ATB, I mean, that held, they held out on that from Final Fantasy IV through IX, and that's considered almost the golden age of the series. Or, so it's yeah, it's definitely noteworthy. And I mean, you know, parts of it survived even longer, really. I mean, yeah, pretty much. Um, it, it, it kind of it lasted into ten quite comfortably. Well, um, well ten's not an ATP exactly, but yeah, it, it's certainly an evolution of yeah. the idea. But uh, you, you know, in ten, at least, you can still see the roots of it. Whereas later on, you really can't. No, it's um, it's it's evolved quite considerably beyond recognition now. But, yeah, uh, and, but e- even then, you know, um, a lot of variants of it have appeared in other sorts of games as well. You know, you, you can take, that's right, yay, ATB. Um, you can take aspects of it and extrapolate them into something like a action RPG like Parasite Eve, where you are both free to move, but also have to store up your turns and use them on in a time basis. Mm-hmm. Um, you can even see parts of it in the Final Fantasy 13 and 13-2, not so much Lightning Returns, I don't think. Uh, whereas you still have an ATB gauge, you still can pick individual attacks to use to fill up that ATB gauge, and in that regard, it, you know, it still kind of lives on even there, and that's something that came about Gosh, almost 25 years ago now. Mm. Yeah, it's it's very impressive, and I think that's one of the reasons why it has the status it has. Because uh, by all accounts, as as a stage in the evolution of Final Fantasy, this was, you know, pretty much comparable to the fish deciding, "Hey, that land looks quite nice. Let's see what it's like outside of the water." <laughs> um, and, no know, hyperbole there at all, in fact. No, no. none whatsoever. It's pretty much spot on, because it, it really was. The ATB previous games, I mean, for me, the way I came into Final Fantasy IV, 
did not have this experience because I'd played seven, eight, nine, um, and then six and then four. So the ATB was all I really knew. Um, and it was kind of going back to the beginning of the ATB rather than watching the development of the ATB. But having played the earlier Final Fantasy games since Final Fantasy four, wow, this is becoming a really anachronistic sentence. Um, having played the earlier games since, you can really see the drastic difference between the turn-based system and the ATB and the the massive change in the dynamic of the whole game that it created. Um, and I don't think it's much of a stretch to say that, to be honest, that development has had such a massive impact on the success of the Final Fantasy series. And as you've said, um, it's transferred into so many other different games. Uh, without it, the you know, the, the landscape of RPG gaming and, and other categories of gaming would be completely different today. I was a huge fan when I first played the game of the plot. And um, that is something that maybe hasn't held up quite as well as other parts of the game. Um, looking back on it now, when I play it more recently, it feels very soapy and melodramatic, <laughs> even more than a lot of the other games in the Final Fantasy series, which are already given to melodrama over and over and over again in every iteration of the series. You don't say. We have a ca- yeah. this, Final Fantasy IV has a character who, when his you know when his attitudes change and he's ready to change himself, he literally transforms into a different person. <laughs> and and then you've got you know the classic uh you know it's it's forced amnesia within the scope of the plot and hopefully that's not too spoilery for anybody out there. We can but, spoil uh, a game that's 23 years old. We there are con users who are <laughs> who are probably half the age of Final Fantasy 4. So we can spoil it. I think <laughs> is that is that where you draw the line if the if the users could be half the age or more? It's if it can, if it can buy, that's actually a pretty good line to draw. If, if you're going to do can, an if, arbitrary yeah. line, I don't know. If it can buy porn and smokes, I think you can spoil it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that's a fair logic. Plus, if we just preface this concast with a spoiler warning, spoiler. Here be dragons. Um, but yeah, you know, actually, there there aren't a ton of dragons in Final Fantasy IV until you get to the last dungeon when you're suddenly drowning. It. Oh my you're god, you're suddenly yeah. drowning in them. So many friggin' <laughs> dragons. Ugh. Red dragons and blue dragons and Ginryu's and Kinryu's and. Yeah, yeah um, Ogopogo in the original translation. Right. It's like they got towards the end of the game and thought, you know what this needs? More dragons. We, <laughs> we just, we, we completely forgot about those dragon sprites. What did Ogopogo get translated into? I know he's a skin of Leviathan, but I don't know. You know, if that were something that we had done more recently on Con, I would probably know the answer. I'm looking it up on Con right now. Yeah, you, you should, cause I was about to. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, back to the plot, you know, I think part of what makes it fun and memorable is the fact that it's extremely melodramatic, and it doesn't take itself nearly as seriously as some of uh, the newer games in the series. And that seems simpler and in some ways more appealing. Okay. Um, apparently it's still called Ogopogo. Huh. Uh, nowadays, it, it's a uh, it's some kind of mythical sea monster in uh, like in uh, in in Canada or. Or yeah, it's it's, it's a cryptos it's a cryptozoological creature said to have lived in Canada, and its Japanese name is a portmanteau of tsunami and leviathan. Hmm. But it's yeah, it's, it's it's always been Ogopogo in you know, in, no, in English language versions. Yeah. Knowing that Ogopogo is Canadian, 
Makes it considerably less menacing. <laughs> it's the Canadian. Well, it, it's, per, it's purple and Canadian. So <laughs> it's it's that makes it terrifying to me. I don't know about you guys. It's like at least you know after he tidal waves you and wipes your entire party out, it'll apologize. That's for sure. But it's uh yeah. Um what were we talking about before I went on that Ogopogo journey? Uh well I was wrapping up talking about why I enjoy the plot. Oh sure. Yeah, you are field to transition to something else. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about the plot too. It's I mean like you said it, it's really melodramatic and uh and I mean, I guess FF2 sort of um, set an early standard for character turns and melodrama and traitors coming back to your uh, party and everything. But Final Fantasy IV just does it way better than F than uh, Japanese NES FF2, which is my least favorite Final Fantasy game. And uh, it, it, I don't know. I mean, I just when you uh, when you sort of get to know Final Fantasy IV's cast, all of them have flaws. All of them have to turn a corner some way. Even, even the bratty Edge, who you only get to use for the last five hours, and uh, even Edward, who basically sucks when you have him and then leaves. But like everyone get <laughs> every character gets either a major moment of change or a moment of redemption, and they have a fully full fledged personalities sort of that continue to build throughout the game. So it's. I mean, I, I hadn't played a game like that when I first played FF4, and I don't think any of the older Final Fantasy games were like that, like I said, with the possible exception of two on the NES, which we didn't get until 2002 anyway. And I say, yeah. and by we, I mean America. Sorry, Stilts. <laughs> no, it's fast. So, so, um, I didn't get so it yeah, it's... Later, I don't think. And it, it's, I think it's, it has a strong cast that, um, I, and I personally, I mean, video games have such bad stories, it, uh, almost... Like entirely, I I think I have played so many RPGs with terrible overall stories that I don't really I'm not really bothered by it anymore. But if an RPG has a really strong, appealing cast of characters that you can see that uh, change or at least entertain you over the course of a story, then I that that's the kind of game that can hook me. And Final Fantasy IV is a great cast. I agree with most of what the two of you have already said regarding the plot. I mean, it is very melodramatic, um, and obviously at the point in the series that it arrived, it was, again, another dramatic transition. Um, I mean, two had very story-heavy elements. One and three didn't even have a story. Um, so three, three does, but the characters does, are, ba- yeah, are basically but... the, char- the main characters are faceless drones, basically. So yeah, yeah and that, uh. that's something that they really fixed in the DS port. Uh, but you know that was yeah, but only but only only later. just though. <laughs> yeah, I, just uh, enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, the 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 twists and the turns of the plot are. Um, Far, far, in a way, advanced compared to what had come before. Um, and the plot, you know, at this stage in gaming was pretty heavy duty. Out of the playable characters, you know, without wanting to spoil too much, you have all kinds of emotional roller coasters that each of them go on. Um, you know, there's lots of death witnessing of loved ones, um, from various different angles. And um, it, it really was, um, you know, some, something a, a new direction. Um, so the, the the plot generally was 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 very strong, um, very twisting. Even if it did go, perhaps a little bit um, jump the shark, as it were. And also, um, I, I agree with all that. One other thing that I uh, that I just sort of thought of as you were speaking. 
Um, I really like it when, uh, when story and gameplay are sort of, uh, united in a way that makes that, that one enhances the other. And Final Fantasy IV's characters mostly live comfortably within the character classes from Final Fantasy I and Final Fantasy III. I mean, you get a black mage and a white mage and a knight and, uh, and a monk and a, a summoner eventually. It's like every, almost every character has, um, his or her skills existing in a Final Fantasy 3 class. But for FF4, um, for, alright, for Final Fantasy 1 through 3, when you get new skills and, uh, things, they're usually just bought in a shop or found somewhere. But Final Fantasy 4 lead, um, ha- lends sort of plot points and story moments to a lot of its, uh, to a lot of its basic gameplay and character features. Like, um, I mean, Cecil transforms from a Dark Knight to a Paladin, and then Paladin's knight abilities like Cover and his healing are sort of become part of his character and are sort of part of the story that he has to, you know, defeat his his uh, his dark reflection by not fighting and healing. And uh, when Rydia um, only can learn fire when she, ha- when she has to, because she has this fear of fire. That's very true, and it's, um, it's something that is quite peculiar to four really isn't it because like you say the the spell learning had previously been bought and in later games in the series um the party development and advancement becomes a lot more open and controllable um and it's uh it's sort of it's more of a free-for-all you can pick which characters you want to be your main party once you reach a certain point in the game and you can pick what they learn, how they learn it and when they learn it via whatever different mechanism the game you're playing uses whereas in 4 you didn't have that they learnt the spells when they learnt them and like you say Laz they uh, they learnt specific spells at specific plot points and it really did link in very strongly um, and for a, from, for a point of view of the plot tying in with the gameplay like that it's uh, it's not something that's been perhaps repeated and maybe that's because um, I don't know. Maybe the maybe the, the feedback thought... at the time was that <laughs> it didn't work as well as they thought it was going to do. Because it has to be said that the way they did it and the fact that it does link into all of the the plot does mean that from a customization point of view, um, Final Fantasy IV is the most restrictive, perhaps, of the series, and um, and perhaps also the most simplistic in terms of development because they learn stuff when they learn them, and you just got to get them to the levels. Yeah, and I don't think I'd ever put that together until you just said that. I think that's a really cool insight into this game that, you know, now that I've heard it, it's like, oh, yeah, that that actually is exactly how it works, and that is kind of neat, and it is unique. If if I uh, did some research and thought really hard, I could find I could find other games that have similar uh, that that treat classes and spells in a similar manner. But Final Fantasy IV for being so early. And for doing it how it how it did it is really remarkable. Uh, that was also, by the way, that small aside. That was kind of mind blowing in when the GBA version came out, and you could bring back uh, Edward and Yang and all those people. I was that that I, I got unreasonably excited for that when that when that news came out. So you know, it, it's funny that you say that. Um, the one time that I played through the GBA version, I ended up using the original in-game party, regardless, uh, <laughs> except for when you have to use all the people uh, in order to unlock oh, the right. trials for the bonus content. Um, I, I think that uh, the 
the best party in the later versions of Final Fantasy IV is probably the original, the original ones. But, uh, especially because they, they make Edge and Rydia way, way better with, when you get their final equipment, like Edge turn, Edge can get in like four turns by the time Sid takes one, if you have them on the same team. The team changes are not because, you know, you didn't have somebody come to you and say, okay, take me along now. They're like, just like with learning the abilities that we mentioned a few minutes ago, a major plot point happens. And then suddenly you have somebody different in your team. So in a lot of cases, you're reeling from a major twist that just happened to you. And then suddenly, not only that, you're dealing with somebody with a completely different skill set all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. It does. Uh, it kind of, it transfers the, the reeling, you know, it transfers the characters reeling in the plot into the, the players reeling from the, you know, the, the strangeness of a new character to control and the the lack of familiarity. So, yeah, like you say, in, um, it's, it's another element in which the plot and the gameplay combine to enhance the effect upon the player. Another thing uh. about Final Fantasy IV, which was really tying in the um, the gameplay and the the plot and the whole the the way it was designed to have the emotional impact, I think is um, the soundtrack, because oh, yeah, no, it, it, previously Final, yeah, Final Fantasy IV is a great soundtrack. Yeah, yeah I'm and, glad somebody brought that up, so I didn't have. Because <laughs> previously, the the soundtracks and the games, again, it's another sort of evolutionary step in the series. The soundtracks, are, I mean, okay, it's not the first Uematsu soundtrack by any stretch of the imagination, because he was there from day one. But the previous soundtracks were. They were just an audio track to play whilst you were playing the game almost. There were different themes for different areas, but it was basically a theme per level and, and that was that. Not much different to, you know, having the different tunes for the different zones in Sonic. There was no more emotive depth really to the soundtrack. But with 4, they tried to change all of that because they really kicked it in and they tried to impose different themes, different tunes at different points in the plot, different developments, and different points in different areas rather than just rigidly fixing it to each zone to try and make the soundtrack more emotive as well as the gameplay. Yeah, uh, we were talking a little while ago about how the plot is quite melodramatic. The um, the music can get sort of melodramatic too. I mean, the, the two things that I think Uematsu is best at are really, really catchy battle themes and really sort of like and and sort of a feeling of drama that you can feel building when the, uh, when he writes music mm-hmm. to fit that kind of occasion. I don't think he has the I don't think his music is maybe not as beautiful as Mits, as a Mitsuda track or as uh atmospheric as a Mitsuda track. But as like because because I mean I think Chrono Trigger and Chrono Cross have two of the best soundtracks ever period. But man, Final Fantasy 4 can the music really brings the drama, and those battle themes and boss themes are so catchy. I I always, I always think back to that um, early fight against the octopus in the falls in the waterfall cave, and I think that's the first time that you hear the boss music. And man, it rules! <laughs> it's either that or the mist dragon. I'm not sure we. Yeah, first. I was trying to remember that myself. I can't remember if the mist dragon actually plays the a battle theme during that battle. It probably does, but I, I always think I always yeah. think back to that uh, that um, that octopus fight. Set. Yeah, octomammoth. Octomammoth. That's it. Oh yeah, oct- it's um, octomom. It, octomom. Yeah, yeah in, in the, the original, original SNES. Yeah, I remember now. Right. Um, okay. Yeah, you know, 
I was actually, as we usually do, or as I usually do when we talk about uh, music from the games we, or from Final Fantasy games, um, I went back to that old uh, game that we ran at Con a few years ago. Jeez, uh, uh, three and a half years ago now, um, where we had a bracket battle of music from all the Final Fantasy games that had been released up until that oh, point. Oh, right. I remember that. You know how many songs made it into the final bracket uh, from Final Fantasy IV? Uh, all right. First of all, how many were there total in the bracket? I was, was, was I <laughs> uh, It was... Um, no, I actually want to say it was six. Yeah, 64 So 64 songs. songs total, and how many were FF4? Um, I am sure that I... And I've got to be missing one. Um, because unfortunately the, uh, the bracket no longer seems to exist, but I can only find one at the moment. No. And it is, it is the boss battle theme. Uh, the, the regular boss battle theme and not the Four Fiends theme, because both of those are good, but. Uh, it's the regular yeah, boss I, battle I, theme. The, the regular one sort of more, is sort of catchier, more memorable to me, I guess. Huh. Now I'm, now I'm curious about that about that battle, because I remember when well, it was happening, but I don't remember really how it turned out. In any event, the fact that I can only find one immediately is a crime. Uh, that, that says to me that Final Fantasy IV music is way underrated compared to some of the other games in the series. I think that's sure. a common comment. Yeah. And it, well, it has it has the traditional, you know, da 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 da, and the uh, and the opening um, Final Fantasy prelude, and it has very nice versions of those. Yeah, but, and uh, I think I think those may be the versions that were actually used in the bracket, um, you know, specifically from Final Fantasy IV when we use, you know, those are songs that have reappeared over the course of the series. But I believe that we actually used the Final Fantasy IV versions whenever they cropped up. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that the music is pretty underrated in that game. And like was said earlier, I believe by you stilts, um, the melodrama of the game itself uh, actually ties in nicely with the melodrama of the music. You know, the, the Red Wings theme, which is the very first music that you hear when you start a new game, it's very, you know, it, it's very bombastic mm-hmm. and militaristic, and it immediately sets a tone for what's going on. And that's something that, uh, you know, this was definitely the first Final Fantasy in which the music was used to that kind of emotional effect right away to grab the player. Uh, and that's just an example of how well designed the sound was for that game. I, As an anecdote, uh, maybe to wrap up the music conversation, unless everybody else has more to throw in there, but uh, there are two uh, back when buying CDs was a thing um, there are two that I actually bought from the Final Fantasy series one was the uh, Final Fantasy 6 OST mm-hmm. and the other was Final Fantasy 4 Celtic Moon oh uh, I remember the uh, the world map version of Celtic Moon I had I got that on Napster way back in the day and I <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's that probably song. where I got it before I, I bought love it that. Yeah. I, I think it, it's, oh man Wow. For anybody out there that has not had an opportunity to listen to uh, it, if you have any affection towards, uh, you know, Celtic style music, I'm having all, a nostalgia attack right now, man. Yeah, you owe it to yourself to listen to that album. It is absolutely lovely, and it takes uh, ten or twelve of the OST tracks and rearranges them in a, a Celtic style. Uh, it's 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 a, it's a lovely, lovely album. I have to get uh, me some of that. I, I've never I've yeah. never heard of this, and um, I've got. Most of the 
uh, Final Fantasy uh, soundtracks, but I have never heard of this. And I, I, as soon as we're done here, I'm looking this up. And uh, just as kind of a couple of uh, final points on the the Final Fantasy IV music and legacy um, of things that I've been sort of looking at whilst you guys have been talking. Um, in terms of the comments that the the music from Final Fantasy IV is pretty underrated, um, that does seem to hold true all the way through. And uh, it was something that I thought when you were saying it, and I've just double-checked my facts. Mm-hmm. Final Fantasy IV is very under, underrepresented on Distant Worlds, the Final Fantasy uh, concerts. Um, oh. Uh, you know, uh, Arnie Roth and uh, Nobue Uematsu have been doing around. And um, I can think the only track that has been played live when I've been to see it has been Theme of Love. However, as a a little final anecdote on that, it turns out Theme of Love has actually been taught to Japanese schoolchildren as part of their musical curriculum. That's how popular Final Fantasy IV has been musically in Japan. All right, well, I'm looking... I have the... uh... Uh, the first two Black Mages albums that Nobuo Matsu, uh, recorded, I guess a decade ago or so. And so, and across the, I don't know the third one, but across the first two, there are 21 tracks, and it looks like only two of them are from FF4. Mm. Final Fantasy IV's soundtrack is underrated. Mm. <laughs> We've proved it! Well, uh, before we wrap up, guys, I, I can think of, uh, one more thing, and, uh, you know, I'll open it up to you if you'd like to, uh, talk about something else, but, you know, I'm head guy in charge, so you don't really get any options. Viva la revolution! Uh, <laughs> um, one thing that, uh, you know, springs to mind with me, especially nowadays when we talk about Final Fantasy IV, is the fact that there are about 300 different versions of this game released now. And I know that's going to be controversial to some listeners, because I know that there are listeners to which, you know, a re-release of a game is anathema. And people think that every re-release that Squeenix or anybody else do is a cynical cash grab. But in th- at least in the case of Final Fantasy IV, I really look at it as a net positive. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I'll be happy to extrapolate on that, but, uh, you know, what do you guys think about the fact that there are so many of these Final Fantasy IV versions out there? For me, I'm pretty ambiguous about it. Um, or ambivalent, even. Um, it's... Way to go. Go to the neutral planet. Yeah. No, it's... I'm not... Oh my god, they've done a remake. Burn Squeenix. Um, which was my interpret, you know, my impression of corners of the internet. Because I, I don't think there's any call for that. If you're going to object to it, you've got to have a strong... You've got to have a reason rather than just objecting for the sake of objecting. And <laughs> in terms of the, the remakes that they have done, I think for a lot of reasons, there are a lot of positives to take from it. Um, it's opening it up to new audiences, and uh, obviously they're remaking it with new technology. But at the same time, I think I can side with the controversy issues of the remakes of this this particular game. Um, well, maybe not this particular game alone, but issues that are relevant to this one as well as some others. I'm really not a fan of the graphics that they're using in the uh, DS remakes. Um, the the chibi styling almost um, of of the graphics they're doing for the the four remakes and the remake of three. Um, I wish they'd just kept the sprites. To be perfectly honest with you, the sprites looked good. The sprites worked, and like with the is it the new remake of six that's coming out where again they've fiddled with the sprites and 
it, it looks awful. Uh, <laughs> I, I will have to say the best looking version of Final Fantasy IV is the PSP version that has those old sprites cleaned up and they have never looked better. Wow. Yeah, no, yep. see, that's, I'll, I'll that. that, that's, that's what I would have liked to have seen all across the board. Obviously, yeah, you know, you've got better graphics, you're going to improve things, but you don't need to redo stuff and tamper. Just improve what's already there. And obviously, I, I know I just used the word tamper, which is where a lot of the hate against remakes comes from. It's, oh, you're messing with a classic. Um, I, I think in the right circumstances and with the right motivations and the right justifications, yes, you can tamper with a classic and it should be well received. Personally, for me, the way they've done the graphics doesn't do that. And then there's a slight second point. One thing that I think is peculiar to 4 is with all the remakes they've had, the script has devolved almost. Um, and I think the way the script evolution has gone is it's almost been like a giant game of Chinese whispers in that each remake has taken the script from the previous remake, tweaked it slightly and tweaked it slightly and tweaked it slightly, um, which is, I don't know, it strikes me as unusual. I don't. I guess I'm not really opposed to all the remakes of Final of Final Fantasy IV. I've bought most of the remakes of Final Fantasy games since I've had disposable income for the past ten or fifteen years. But in Final Fantasy IV, um, at least with I think GBA DS and PSP, there have been significant uh, upgrades and add-ons, and pos- and also it possibly brings the game to a new audience. So like if 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 there's a kid who I mean, we probably already went over this to a degree. If there's a kid that likes Final Fantasy X, but it wasn't around for the older Final Fantasy games, then those GBA remakes that went that went out for one, two, four, five, and six in the mid two thousands might have, you know, been their first exposure to those games. So, and also, you said uh, without the PS one remake, at least, um, great uh, Europe never would have gotten Final Fantasy IV. Yeah, so, I think that's true. I think, well. so, e- so even if you're opposed to the idea of remakes, because, I, I mean, most of the time, any work of art does not need to be remade. Like, the, the, a, a remake rarely, you know, adds to the artistic clout of a, of a work. But if, um, but with games, since games are sort of the kinds of things that are easily missed if they're, if you're not in the zeitgeist, then it, you know, they, they can, uh, they can bring older games to new audiences. Mm. No, I think that's a very valid point, and uh, like you say, I, I think that is a very strong positive for for the remakes um, and, and ports that have happened. And like you say, uh, without uh, without the PSX remake, uh, I don't think there would have been uh, a way for me to get hold of the game that was not skirting copyright law or extremely expensive. Yeah, and I think this is the most successful that they've been in terms of trying to um, refresh one of their games for newer audiences. Obviously, the PlayStation release was uh, a bit of a train wreck. Um, but since then, you know, the, the GBA release, I think, was uh, pretty solid and received pretty well. Um, the Nintendo DS release got everybody pretty excited because it took one of these old games and, you know, completely redid it. Um, obviously Final Fantasy 3 came first, but, you know, and then you have things like the PSP version, 
you have um, the DS version being released for mobile phones. You have even the uh, added content of the After Years, uh, I, which, I don't uh, have, is, which is not well no, received. I don't, I don't have we're not many, talking about I don't that. have very many nice things to say about the After Years, and I'll leave it at that. But it's, uh, you know, it's effort that they're putting in to the game, and... Uh, in terms of the PSP release, you know, obviously the PSP release of Final Fantasy IV actually included the bridge content and the after years. Um, again, redone in the style that they did the original game in for PSP. So it, not only is it something that they're, you know, taking the time to put a little bit of extra love into over the years, it's also something that makes it a game that's pretty much ubiquitous. If you have any interest in playing Final Fantasy IV, odds are you can find a way to play it right now. I think the best one by far is the PSP version. The, the sprites have never looked better. It has all the GBA content and the after years if you want to play it. So if it sounds like we could probably go for another good hour on this at least, I am going to recommend that we not do that to spare our poor listeners. Um, you know they have things to do like eat and sleep and uh, shut off the Comcast and run and, away. Well, and, and our podcasters also have things to do like eat and sleep. So. Bottom line here, guys, uh, Final Fantasy IV is awesome. You know, I, we didn't bury that lead. We think you should play it. If you're at Con, you've probably played it already. If you haven't played it recently, go get your hands on one of the newer versions and check it out, because it's totally worth it. Alright, fellas, uh, thanks a lot for coming along to discuss Final Fantasy IV, Final Fantasy IV awesomeness. And, uh, everybody enjoy the rest of your day slash evening slash night. Cool. See ya. have it. In case you missed it before, Final Fantasy IV is awesome. And so is Caves of Narsh. As always, you can find us at cavesofnarsh.com or any of your many favorite social media sites. On the way out today, you're listening to Palam and Porum from the Final Fantasy IV Celtic Moon special CD, which we referred to a little bit earlier in the Concast. Thanks, as always, for your support, and we will have another Concast for you again soon. <laughs>